Our reading this morning is from Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. Mark 7, 24 through 30. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast a demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. May God bless his word. You may be seated. Now, we've just heard a wonderful passage read. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go right back to it again. It'll help you, uh, if you do have scriptures, to keep them open today. We're going to look at a number of places, including the parallel passage to this passage in Matthew 15. But it's a striking story. This is one of the most interesting conversations that, uh, that Jesus had that is recorded for us in the Gospels. It is a seemingly awkward conversation. In fact, Jesus comes across as downright offensive in this passage. And that may perplex you a little bit. What in the world is going on with Jesus talking to this poor, desperate woman the way he talks to her? Surely something is wrong here. But in fact, we're going to find out that the Holy Spirit is showing us God's grace to the Gentiles in this passage. But he does it in the most striking ways. He introduces us to a pagan woman who seems to understand things that Jesus' own disciples don't understand. And he presses on us the issue of the warrant of faith. That is, why would someone put their faith, trust, and confidence in Jesus? What would prompt them to do that? What would lead someone to rest in Christ alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel. That's a, you know, it's, it's important for us to talk about justification by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. It's important for us to talk about faith as the alone instrument of our justification, but it's also important for us to address the issue of the warrant of faith as we share the gospel, because we need to know why when we're sharing the gospel, why is it that an unbeliever ought to trust in Christ? Jesus just puts the answer to that question on display in this passage, right before his disciples' eyes. It's it's almost like he says, watch why an unbeliever trusts in me. And of course, in this passage, he gives us a striking example of what happens in prayer. And he reveals Jesus to us as the savior of the world. In fact, when when I came in, I, I, I love bulletins. 
and I immediately picked up your bulletin, and I noticed that you have your church mission on the cover of the bulletin. Would you look at that real quick? You may not remember your church mission, but I'm quite excited about it. Here it is, engaging peoples everywhere. By the way, that could be the theme of this passage, engaging peoples everywhere. So let's just say it now, this passage is about your church's mission engaging peoples everywhere to pursue ultimate satisfaction in Jesus. Jesus is about to show that to his disciples in this passage. So let's walk through the passage together and let's just make sure we have the story in our minds. Jesus has been ministering within the traditional bounds of Israel where most Jewish People live in Palestine, and suddenly he retires from that area and he goes uh, north and west to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Look at verse 24. From there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, let me just remind you that. The region of Tyre and Sidon is also the region of Zarephath. You remember in 1 Kings 17 when there was a great famine in Israel and God said to Elijah in order that he would be spared of that famine, go to Zarephath and I'm going to feed you there. And a widow in Zarephath provided him with water and with bread. Very interestingly, Elijah goes to her asking for bread. Now just hold that in the back of your mind. Jesus is going to this same region now with his disciples. But notice, verse 24, he entered a house and he did not want anyone to know. In other words, Jesus' aim and intention was not to do ministry to the multitudes there like he had been doing in the bounds of Israel. Uh, He had been doing major open ministry. Now he wants to retire with his disciples in order to find a place where he can do that and not be completely flocked with crowds. He has to go outside the place where most Jews live. And so he goes all the way to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And his plan is to be with his disciples and to teach them. In fact, for the, for the next little bit of his ministry, his goal is to spend time with his disciples teaching them because he's got to equip them for what they're going to do when he's not around. But, I love this phrase, he could not be hidden. So he's, he's gone to a Gentile region and uh, his intention is to be off with the disciples alone, but he can't be hidden. And we read in verse 25, immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. And then we're told this, the woman was a Gentile, literally a Greek. She was a Greek speaker, a Syrian Phoenician. So this This area is under the control of Syria. She's uh, Phoenician ethnically. She speaks Greek. She comes and she begs him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And by the way, I love what J.C. Ryle says about this passage. 
this child's plight was desperate. But she had a praying mother. And where there is a praying mother, there is always hope. Now that ought to encourage us. And here this Greek-speaking Syrian Phoenician mother with a daughter who is cruelly demon-possessed comes to Jesus and begs him for help. And then we read these shocking words in verse 27. He said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, it's never a nice thing to call somebody a dog, especially a lady. Um, and as some of you may know, dogs is a, is, was a term of disrespect. Uh, it was a racial religious epithet that many Jewish people used about Gentile people. The dogs, the goyim, they're dogs. And Jesus says right to this lady, it's not appropriate for me to give the children's food to the dogs. Now, if you flip over to Matthew, if you turn with me there to Matthew chapter 15, it's even harder. <laughs> uh, we're told in Matthew 15, 22, when she comes to Jesus, she cries out, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is cruelly demon-possessed, and he doesn't answer her. And in fact, Matthew tells us that his disciples start saying, get her out of here. Send her away. This is supposed to be our time. We're we're supposed to be with you, Jesus. You're supposed to be concentrating on us. Send away this pagan woman. Send away this Gentile woman. But she does not stop. And she says again, "Um, Lord, help me. And then Jesus says, it's not good to give the children's bread to the dogs. Now, what in the world is going on? Why in the world would Jesus speak like this? Pay close attention to what is happening here. She is undeterred. Look back at Mark chapter 7, verse 28. And she says, yes, Lord. You're right. Even the dogs under the table eat the children's bread, though. It's an amazing statement. By the way, it's so, it's so real to life. If you have dogs in the house, you know how they are when dinner time is around. They're waiting for anything to fall to the ground and it's gone. You don't have to worry about vacuuming after it's done. You have human vacuum cleaners in the house uh, in, the, in the form of those dogs. And she uses that very image. Yes, Lord, but when the children eat, the little dogs in the house always pick up the scraps. And then he says to her in Mark seven twenty nine for this statement... Go on your way, 
the demon has left your daughter. And she goes home and she finds the child perfectly fine. <laughs> what in the world is going on in that story? A lot, but let me, let me point you to three things in particular. First, it is clear that Jesus is teaching his disciples about his mission to the Gentiles in this passage. Second, it is clear that Jesus is teaching his disciples about faith. And he's showing them that, yes, even the Gentiles can have faith in me. And third, in this passage, Jesus is displaying his mercy and his power that he is the savior of the world. So his mission to the Gentiles, faith, and the mercy and power of Jesus. Let's just look at those three things very briefly in our time this morning. First of all, the mission to the Gentiles. Remember when I said Jesus has gone to this area, this is where Elijah went in 1 Kings 17 to the widow of Zarephath. And you'll remember what happened. Her son dies while he's there. And she says, you've brought evil on me. You came into my house. My son has died. And you remember what Elijah does? He stretches out on the boy three times and the boy is resurrected. Elijah went to her asking for bread. So interesting, of course, the great enemy of Israel in those days were the Assyrians. And here's Elijah going to the place of Zarephath under Syrian domination and this great miracle of resurrection. But it's interesting, he goes asking her for bread. This woman comes asking Jesus for bread. Notice, she wants bread. She wants the blessings that only the Messiah can bring in the conversation is about whether it's appropriate for him to give her the bread. Why is this so important? Because as you know, the great controversy that will occupy the early days of the Christian church is, can the Gentiles believe in Christ without becoming Jews? Isn't the way to walk in faith with the Messiah of Israel to become a Jew? No, Paul will say. No, Peter will say. No, the Gentiles are only required to put their trust in Jesus, not to obey the Mosaic ceremonial laws, not to be circumcised, not to obey the food laws, not to obey the clothing laws, not to obey the ceremonial rituals. They must put their faith in Christ. This is what's going on here. This is why Peter eventually understood that, because Jesus had demonstrated it to him. This is why Paul believes this, because Jesus demonstrates this in his ministry. He goes to this woman outside the bounds of Israel, and in her need, she comes to him and asks for help, and she cannot say to him, 
The promises have been given to me. The law has been given to me. The covenants have been given to me, as Paul says to Jewish believers in Romans chapter 9. In fact, of her, we would have to use the words of Ephesians 2. We were strangers to the promises, aliens to the covenants. And yet, Jesus goes even to her and he hears her and he answers her. And as Elijah raised the widow's son from the dead, she brings her daughter out of the grip of Satan and cruel demon possession. So the the whole passage is about Jesus going to the Gentiles. Even the Gentiles will come to faith in Jesus. Yes, this will be clearer in the Great Commission. Yes, this will be clearer on the day of Pentecost. Yes, this will be clearer in Acts chapter 15 out of the Jerusalem Council. But already in Jesus' ministry, we find him on occasion going to Gentiles, hearing Gentiles, healing Gentiles. And that's exactly what's going on here. This is the Savior of the world, the Jewish Messiah, going to the Gentiles. That's what's going on. Here's the second thing, though. Jesus shows us about faith in this passage. This woman comes to him and begs him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And notice the language that she uses when she addresses him. In verse 28 in uh, Mark chapter 7, she says to him after he's already rejected her first overture, yes, Lord. By the way, that's the only time the Greek word Lord is used in the vocative in the whole of the gospel of Mark. In other words, she's not just saying Lord to him. She's saying, oh, Lord. She knows exactly who this is. And that comes through even clearer in Matthew. How does she address him in Matthew? Chapter 15, verse 22. Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. In other words, her faith is focused on him. Her hope is entirely in him. She cannot say... God has made me the promises that he made to Abraham. God has given me the covenants of Israel. God has given me the Torah. I am one of the ancient people of God. All she can do is look to Jesus and say, you are the Lord, you are my only hope, help me. Is that not a picture to show the disciples? How does a sinner come to faith? He puts his whole, she puts her whole trust and confidence in the person and work of Jesus only, completely on him. And that's what this woman does. Oh, Lord, help me. You're the only one who can do anything about this. And what is the warrant of this faith? Well, on the one hand, you could say it's just desperation, couldn't you? She has nowhere else to turn. There is no one else who can deliver her daughter 
from this cruel demon possession. There's no doctor that can help. There's no soothsayer that can help. There's no uh, relief in sight. Only Jesus can help. And she puts her trust and confidence in him. But she seems to be able to identify exactly who he is. He is the Lord, the son of David. But more than this, she knows that he is merciful. Even though he speaks as if he is not, she knows that he is merciful. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. She knows that down to her bones. And even when he says, "Uh, ma'am, it's not appropriate for me, to give what belongs to the children of God to those who are not the children of God. There's no objection on her part. You know, she doesn't say, you owe me this. She knows he doesn't owe her this. She doesn't say, that's not fair. She has no claim to fairness. She doesn't say, I deserve this. She's undeserving. She says, Lord, you are the son of David. Have mercy on me. Help me. She perceives his mercy. The the old Puritans used to say that the reason that sinners trust in Christ is is because they apprehend his mercy. They they recognize that though they deserve to be condemned, though they deserve to be cast out, though they deserve to be judged and punished, though they are completely guilty in their conduct and uh, completely deserving of the judgment and sentencing against their wrong that comes from the judgment seat of Christ. Nevertheless, they apprehend his mercy. In, in the, the Presbyterian tradition, the very first question that is asked of prospective members of the church is this. Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope save in his sovereign mercy and this woman got that she is justly deserving his displeasure and without hope save in his sovereign mercy a few years ago a friend of mine was a part of a Bible-believing delegation of American Episcopalians that went to Rwanda. Um, They were Bible-believing American Episcopalians, very disturbed by the liberalism and infidelity of the Episcopal Church in the USA. And so they were going to the famous Archbishop Colini of Rwanda, who is a gospel 
man, a Bible-believing man, one of those wonderful African Orthodox Anglican leaders, and they were going to beg him to be their bishop so that they could start Bible-believing Episcopal churches in the United States, according to the Episcopal Order of Government. And when they got there, Archbishop Collini would not meet with them. In fact, he sent one of his aides to give them a tour around the country. Now, many of you will remember there was a horrific genocide in Rwanda. And many, many thousands of Rwandan Christians, our brothers and sisters in Christ, were killed in that genocide. And what Archbishop Collini's aide did with that delegation of Episcopal Bible-believing people is he just took them around the country and showed them all the genocide sites including the the cathedral which has been left in the same form it was the day that the armed men broke in with guns and did just like happened in New Zealand in the last 48 hours. They, They killed people right there in the middle of the cathedral in their worship services. And then finally, Archbishop Collini had them come in for an audience. And he said, now I understand that you're here to ask me to help you plant Bible-believing churches in the United States. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Your grace. When the genocide happened, we reached out to the United Nations, and they did not help us. And we reached out to the United States government, and they did not help us. And we reached out to our brethren in the church in the United States, and no help came. And here today, you are asking me for my help? And the delegation said, yes. And he said, I will give it to you. You see what's going on? (laughs) They knew they really had no right to ask Archbishop Collini to help them plant Bible-believing churches in the United States when in their deepest hour of need and his people were being slaughtered, no help came from us. But they ask anyway because Archbishop Collini is a Christian man. He, He knows this Savior. This woman knew the same thing about Jesus and all the tough talk couldn't fool her. She knew that he was filled with mercy. And of course, I, I, love, I love the way that he answers her. Look, <laughs> look at verse 29. You may go, the demon has already left your daughter. It's already done. She apprehended his mercy. The words that he used really reflected more the attitude of his disciples. He was almost using them as a mirror to show the disciples themselves. This is how you think about people like her. And in By the way, if you look in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, uh, 15, verse 28, he says of her before she goes, O woman, your faith is great. Now, do you know that Jesus never says that about a Jewish person during his life? 
He never says that to a Jewish person. The only time he says that in the Gospels is to Gentiles. Your faith is great. In this passage, you see, he's showing his disciples. Disciples, Gentiles can believe. And in fact, they can believe better than our people believe. What what has Jesus been experiencing already in his ministry? Rejection by the Jewish leaders. The people who have been given the promises reject him. And so he goes to the people who have not been given the promises and they accept him. And it's, it's, it's like Jesus saying to his disciples, now I know the attitude that you've been brought up with. These are dogs. These are unclean. These are pagans. These humans created in the image and likeness of God can believe better than my people who ought to, but don't. He's showing his disciples the faith of the Gentiles. And then finally this, you see not only the mercy, but the power of the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus does not go to the woman's home and stretch himself on the daughter three times or touch her or, or even enter into the house. He simp- he, in fact, as far as we know, he doesn't say anything. He can think the demon out of her daughter. By the way, that also never happens to anybody but Gentiles in the Gospels. The only people that Jesus heals or spares from demon possession in the Gospels without going there are all Gentiles. What's Jesus doing? He is showing his power. I am the savior of the world. Jew and Greek, slave and free, male and female, barbarian and Scythian and high-class Hellenist and name it all, men and women and boys and girls from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. I am the savior of the world and all I have to do is think it and it's done. This woman asked, and I appointed that it would be done without going there and without even saying it out loud. You see, he displays his power in the very way that the healing is done. No wonder... Peter will stand up just a couple of years later and say, the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as call on the name of the Lord. No wonder Peter will stand up at the Jerusalem council and say, I've seen the Holy Spirit come upon the Gentiles. That's not just something that he learned when he went to the house of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, that's something that Jesus had been teaching Peter since the Perean ministry. When he left Galilee, 
And he went to Syrophoenicia in the region of Tyre and heard a Gentile woman and showed them Gentile faith and then with his almighty power cast a demon out and set a captive free. He is the savior of the world. And that is why we engage peoples everywhere to pursue their ultimate satisfaction in Jesus. Because he's the savior of the world, filled with mercy and power. And by faith in him, you are set free. And if you are free in him, you are free indeed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this mission to the Gentiles right in the middle of the gospel of Mark. We might have thought that that might wait till the end of the gospels and the great commission. But we see that the heart of our Savior is to both Jew and Greek, to the ends of the earth, that peoples everywhere would find their ultimate satisfaction in him. And so we give you praise and we ask that you would give us the same heart in Jesus' name, amen.